Hi, friends, and welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. Our special guest today is Vanessa Druskett. Vanessa is one of my inspirations. Her work has influenced a lot of my work with teams. She's done some of the important research into team emotional intelligence, and she teaches at the business school at University of New Hampshire. Hi, Vanessa. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Richard. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. Well, thanks. Is there anything that you want to add on to that introduction? Yeah, that's that's just fine. All right. All right. Well, we were chatting before we before we pressed the record button. This is the this is the podcast about teams. And what I'd like to ask is what was the best team of your life? And I, I, I preface it with a, a definition of a team, any group of two or more people aligned with a common goal. Uh, I've got an example of somebody whose singing group is their best team. Sometimes I say my wife, Molly, and me. That's, the, that's, that's probably the best team of my life. What's your best team ever? Um, best team ever was a team in an outdoor leadership class I took when I was an undergraduate. Um, so this was a class that was actually designed for ROTC students and I had been recommended or had been recommended to me and, um, it was a team that was spontaneously developed. First, we learned a whole bunch of outdoor leadership skills and then we were thrown into the woods spontaneously uh, for three days of survival, and uh, it was it was scary, um, especially because it was in um, I was uh, going to school at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, and it was late fall, so it was quite cold outside, and we had pup tents and we had um, food rations that the military uses and things like that, but we had we were dropped in one place and we had to figure out you know three days later how to get somewhere else. And so we had to work together and it just was a, a, a phenomenal experience. You know, we, we needed each other. And I think that there was this sort of adversity on the outside of it. Um, and we needed each other and we really came together. And I think um, in terms of how well our team did, I think we ended up doing um, much better than most of the other teams uh, that were out there that long right. weekend. So your, your team was one like subgroup of the people who were part of that class? Yes. So it was a class and yeah. there were a few different sections of it. And then for the actual activity, you know, the, the outdoor survival activity, um, we were thrown spontaneously into a group that people, people that we hadn't really worked with before. And, um, you know, some of them I'd seen around, but I didn't know them at all. So it really, we had to form, we had to get to know each other. And then we had to, cross rivers and, and rappel up hills and we had to um put up our pup tents and find certain locations at certain times where we would meet for supplies they'd give us supplies so we did a lot of orienteering you know we had these orienteering maps and things like that and we truly needed one another and and uh we we made each other better in that team yeah. yeah. And, and you did all these things literally. It's not like you talk to a team in an office building and they're like, we climb mountains together. Or we, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, no, I, I, no, I, I that, would cross a river for you by golly. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, right, right. No, it was the actual, the real thing. And obviously we had, um, I think we had, at the time, you know, I'm, I'm quite old, there were no cell phones at the time. Uh, but I think we had some kind of walkie-talkies. We, we could have asked for help at any point, you know, they were, they, they were there in the background. But um, we had a lot of fun together. It was nervous. We were nervous a lot of the time, but we, we laughed a lot. I think that was my role. I was the, I was the humorous one, the um, the optimist, and saying, "We're gonna do this. We can do this. We're great." You know, <laughs> these kinds of things. I think I was the weakest link. So, so uh, interesting. That was my role. Yeah. As you take yourself back to that team, I, I can I can hear by the tone of your voice and and by the body language that you you're, you're back there. What does it feel like? within your body what is the sensation of of having done that work or like if you were in present tense with that team and you were doing it right now doing that doing that survival activity for three days what is there one word that you could use to, to summarize it sure um well it was collaborative yeah i mean we we uh, it's bringing tears to my eyes just thinking about it. It was so much fun. I was I was nervous at the beginning because you know it was a cold weekend. It was cold out there, and um, and we just um, people would move in and lead for a while and step back, and someone else would move in for a while and lead and step back. Um, so we were truly a collaborative team. We we had to pull on all of our skills. Every one of us was needed there. All right. What, and what were some of these skills that people were, were, were contributing as needed? Yeah. Um, well, some of us were better at reading the orienteering maps. Some of us were better at ropes, you know. Um, as I mentioned, my, my skill was being an optimist. And um, I had been a cheerleader in high school. So I was a good cheerleader in college, uh, you know, just in the sense of being optimistic and having a good sense that that was going to help. Um, and it did help. I know it did because they told me it did. So, you know, we gave each other feedback and we appreciated one another. So there was definitely a lot of appreciation working together. And, you know, again, collaboration. There was no one leader. We were all leaders. Yeah. Now, okay, little, that, that's a little bit of subjective. That's a little bit of objective. Let's, let's go deeper, both subjectively okay. and objectively. Uh, so more about what it felt like to be part of that team, that you know that that was the best team of your life, and maybe even objectively, like outside observations, outside measures that somebody could use. How, how, do, how do you know within yourself that that's the best team of your life, and how would somebody else gauging that team know that that was a great team? Yeah. Um, okay. Objectively, um, you know, we were sort of competing with the other teams in the class because this was a class that we were taking and, um, and objectively we did, we did, I don't think we were the best in the class, but objectively we came in at an early time and we did, we did well. Um, and in fact, I remember they contacted me, um, and maybe they did this to everyone, but, but, you know, I felt like our team did so well, um, that the, the ROTC folks contacted me and said, we really want you in the ROTC program. <laughs> and, you know, it was an interesting thing because it wasn't really me that they needed. They needed the full team. Um, and the reason why it was the best, well, 
we really got to know each other. And um, it's in, when I think about the best, the best teams of my life, um, it's typically, they're typically teams um, where I, you know, the, the, the veil of who people are gets pulled down. So we're real with one another, you know, and there's something about being outside in the cold and trying to get to a checkpoint that, that, and, you know, obviously, um, we know we can be safe, but, but, you know, working hard and wanting to do well together, it was a clear objective, very clear objective. Um, but getting to know one another was what made us, I think, better. Yeah. What are some of the very, very concrete behaviors that you did? I, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if this team formation was accidental or they had taught you things to be able to form together well. What were some of the things that you did concretely that made this team work? Um, well, for one, people would pull forward when they knew something and they would step back when they didn't. And so there was a concrete willingness to step up and a concrete willingness not to need to be in the middle uh, when you when you didn't know something. So w- w- to defer to those who knew more than you. So no one was trying to be the star in that team. So a couple of, one of the things I remember that was really hard was we had to cross this river and we were required to uh, build a rope bridge. And we had been taught this in class and it was quite complex. Um, so one of the things in the class overall was we'd been ta- we had been taught all these separate skills and we basically had to use them all. You know how to read an orienteering map, and so you knew where the high mountains were and where the low mountains were, and to try to figure out you know you had, you you could tell where the water crossings were and you know what was going to be a good path to get to where we needed to be. But anyway, the rope the rope crossing, the rope. I mean, I I can visualize it now. It's, it's interesting because it was so long ago. And I remember how scary that was. And I was like, oh, man, I hope somebody remembers how to do this rope. And luckily, <laughs> there were a few people that, that really stepped forward. And then the rest of us just supported. You know, we fell into the role of, okay, what do you need? How can we, how can we help you? And they, they wove together this rope bridge that crossed the thing. And we had to, you know, walk across it and hold on to something and help each other. And it was, in part, if you think about it, it was probably designed for an emotional roller coaster. And so, you know, when you experience positive emotions together, um, it it connects you. And sometimes scary emotions can connect you too, especially if it's not going to, especially if you trust the people around you. Ask me more questions if I'm not being clear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, you, you, you know something about teams and team performance. It's the work you've been doing for a couple yeah. of decades. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I hear I hear the jargon coming through. Oh, do you? Um, because it's interesting. I, I don't hear it myself. <laughs> I'm like thinking, I hope I'm saying something that's that's legitimate. <laughs> well, well totally. So and even even if you didn't even if you didn't have the jargon, it's it's totally legit. Um, uh, th- this 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 point you just made about connecting through emotions, uh, both the positive emotions. And even the scary ones, plus, even when you had the scary ones, you you knew there was some safety. Honestly, I think it's rooted in the skill set in the room or in the outdoor outdoor room (laughs) in the team. (laughs) Um, If I thought everyone just had my skills, I would have been worried because there are some things I'm good at and some things I'm not good at. I have a very poor attention to detail around a lot of things. But there were so hence why I couldn't I did I could not remember how we how we were supposed to build that rope bridge. You know, it was not one of my favorite episodes of the class. Um, 
but there were we had varied skills. And um, so first thing I would I would have to say so there's something there about trusting the skills, trusting in the skills. And people were listening to each other. So there was no argument over um, who's in charge, who knows more, you know. Um, I often tell people, you know, I do this exercise with my students. I'm a, I'm a professor, right? Um, it's one of these survival exercises. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about the parallel between this and these um, human synergistic. I don't know if you've ever done any of these subarctic survival, fire survival. And I always tell my students that afterwards, of course, if you had an Eagle Scout in your in your team, you probably did very poorly <laughs> because everyone <laughs> defers to the Eagle Scouts. <laughs> everyone defers to the people who they think know more. and the Eagle Scouts are so happy to be the leader in a case like that. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I mean, I love Eagle yeah, Scouts. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the people I know are Eagle Scouts. So, um, <laughs> seriously. Uh, but so, so wait, wait, let me get this straight. If you have an Eagle Scout on your team, your team will fail. No, it, it's not. No, 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 no. <laughs> but if you defer, if you consistently defer to someone and they're happy to move into that role. Um, and that so happens, you know, we, we, one of my interesting, um, well, let me say this, that team experience, the one I'm explaining now in this outdoor leadership class and several other that I had, several others that I had uh, throughout my, my youth, you know, the first uh, 25, uh, 26 years of my life, um, led me to be fascinated by teams. So this experience was one of the reasons why I became a team researcher, because I wanted to know, you know, what is it? that um that leads some teams to and mostly my question was why is it that i can be such a great contributor in some teams and not in others and i mean i think and i knew it wasn't just me i could see the others around me and in this particular team we didn't have anyone who needed to dominate or we didn't we never asked anyone to dominate we 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 made it work we made each other better and and so that's that's how you do that has been a quest for me in my life. All right. Yeah. I, I was curious about this, whether this, this activity, this experience was the one that led you to the work that you do, but you had, you had so many experiences that led you to this work. Yeah. 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 I had so many, I worked in, I mean, I, I, I grew up in a farming community and I, um, so I started working at the age of, I think 12 working on farms. And so I, I have had a lot of jobs in my lifetime a lot, and I've worked on a lot of teams because of that. And, um, so, and they were the best of times or the worst of times always, you know, and, um, and the best of times like this one I'm explaining, uh, to you was such a high point. The way I can visualize it right now, the way I, I've never forgotten it is, is it, is similar to um, what I see other people talk about when they, like you, when I ask people, tell me about a good team you were on. I often yeah. ask that question, and that, and that you've never forgotten about it. Like this is a, this is a one of my one of my other influences talks about it. Jim McCarthy talks about it as um, in the purview of history. It's a great team. Like people are still talking about it today, and, and here we are talking about it today. This was definitely a great team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and don't forget though. Interestingly, we remember things through emotion. So strong emotion, yeah. 
it creates okay. a marker in our brain. And mm-hmm. so I think um, I'm just as likely to remember really bad teams as I am to really good teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how about some advice for viewers and listeners? What What are some things they could do to intentionally have a team that's as great as this one that we're talking about? My, you know, again, I've been studying this for a long time and I, it's, I've kind of peeled away the onion over the years. Um, and sometimes I see something at the core of the onion. I don't fully understand it. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about what I saw 20 years ago and then how I understand it now. One of the, one of the variables that my good colleague, Steve Wolf and I have studied for a long time is something that we call team member understanding or really understanding the people who are getting to know the people who are on your team. Um, and that shows up in lots of different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean I need to know everything about you. In some contexts, it shows up as I want to know more about your job, you know, your background, just work-related things. In some contexts, it shows up as, yeah, you know, what do you do and like to do on the weekends? And, you know, do you have a partner? You know, what's your life like? Um, but anyway, I, I could never quite understand. I used to ask audiences all the time looking for the answer. Why does this matter so much? Because it always mattered. Well, I've, I've come to understand that we have this need. We have certain social needs that we're completely unaware of. And um, Matthew Lieberman, who's a social neuroscientist at UCLA, says that we know more now from studying the brain. We know more about our social needs than we ever have in the past. And one of the things that we, we've come to realize is that organizations aren't designed for the social needs that we have. Um, and by that, what he means is that we, we have a need to connect and we have a need to feel like we belong to a group. But organizations don't allow us to do that very easily. Things are, are, are typically kept at sort of a superficial level. Um, so, but anyway, one of the things that I've discovered, I've, I've begun thinking and talking about and learning about and reading about and writing about right now is this need to belong and how it all starts with, with people knowing you, feeling understood, feeling known. Um, and then of course then feeling, which is more easily happens, which is that people begin to care about you. That more easily happens if they know something about you. It's hard for me to care about a person I don't know anything about. I can't, I don't find any sort of personal connections there. So to create those kinds of relationships, um, you know, where you feel known, understood, um, and cared about, um, you have to get to know one another a little bit. So that's something I've just gone on a long uh, discussion about that. How how to do that? Yeah. Uh, Are there any, any, any tricks or practices or habits for for team members to be able to do that? Sure. Uh, the problem is, um, the one thing that gets in the way is time. So the, the question is, how do you do that given time constraints that are so that are or that are out there today? Uh, you know, the cl- classic one, which you know from from your agile work, is check-ins. You know, checking in at the beginning of every meeting, and it, over time, you begin to see the way people process information. Um, I know someone who uh, purchased a, a soccer ball on Amazon, and on every one of those little hexagons, there's a question, and so. Um, she uh, she was a team leader and she used to pass the ball or roll the ball to people back when we were face to face 
Um, I have no idea how she does it now, but she might just catch the ball and say, okay, here's the question for you, Richard. You know, in 25 seconds or 30 seconds, you know, what was the best thing that happened to you this weekend or whatever the question was that popped up at the top? And people would, would, would answer that. And so there's ways to, um, you know, and then people disclose. That's the other thing. We know building relationships requires some disclosure, right? Some personal disclosure. Um, the whole relationship research area um, supports that. Um, so that's one way to do it. Check-ins, lunch dates. doesn't have to be always everyone in the group, you know. I've seen teams do it where you sort of pair up, have lunch on Zoom together, those kinds of things. Yeah. Is there anything anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to add on to our conversation? Anything at all? <laughs> about teams? Any anything? What have you been, what have you been working on recently? I'm, I'm curious about your current work. I, I I've I've become acquainted with you and your work through Steve Wolf, uh, through that article you guys wrote in the Harvard Business Review. Um, 15 or something years ago. What's been happening in the last 15 years? What's been happening most recently? Yeah, well, I got distracted for from my writing for quite a while because I was pulled into so many consulting gigs. I've been coaching a lot of teams um, and using that model to coach teams. Um, and that's been really exciting. Um, so I've been traveling around I would say about five years ago, I, I kind of stopped that because I wanted to come back and start writing and I wanted to come back and start investigating, which is um, how I have come to this new um, literature on, you know, the need to belong. And so I've been focusing on that a lot now and I've been doing a lot of writing on it and, you know, ba basically talking about how do you build a culture of belonging. And um, I, I really think that our team EI model has a lot of, um, lot to offer in that area. Um, and what's happened too is that there's been a lot that's come out in that area because of all the um, diversity initiatives that have come out in the last couple of years. And also there's been a lot of call for that. So I've been asking, I had lots of invitations for various things because um, people are feeling their, you know, cracks in their belonging, cracks in their inclusion, given that they're not meeting face-to-face um, -face anymore. And, you know, it's been fascinating and sad. And, you know, I'm really, you know, back to this fabulous quote from Matthew Lieberman, who said, you know, organizations aren't designed for our social needs. Well, right now, our social needs are, you know, if we are really learning um, as the great resignation, whatever you want to call it, you know, 41% uh, World Economic Forum um, pro projected that 41% of people worldwide were going to be leaving jobs this year, 2021. We're almost at the end of 2021. 41%. Yeah, people are saying, hey, I'm not, you don't need me. I don't need you, you know. Um, and, uh, and so they don't feel needed. They don't feel understood. They don't feel cared for. They don't feel part of something. So how do you create that right now? It's all about relationships. And teams in particular, I think, are where those relationships can be really meaningful. These high points that we talk about and, uh, you know, the positive emotion. There's nothing like working with a great team, you know, as I was mentioning before, and I think you were concurring. I, don't, I think you were, maybe you weren't, but, um, <laughs> you know, a great team, being part of something that makes you better, that, that you learn, continually learn from. That's the other thing. I mean, 
the great teams I know are teams that are really focused on this sort of, um, um, you know, constant learning, lifelong learning, growth mindset. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about connection and, and feeling connected, is is that the same thing? Or how, how is that like, or how is that different from what people call inclusion? So inclusion, the way I picture inclusion is that you can be included in a conversation. I mean, you are really included. Um, and so you're listened to and, you know, you're not just in the room, you know, your voice is, is taken into account. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you feel known, heard, understood, cared for. Okay. So belonging is, it's the social need, you know. So there are these social needs that we're discovering that we, that are innate. And the irony is we don't even know we really have them um, because it, you, you know you have them. Here, here it is, Maslow's hierarchy. You know, you come above the, the um, physiological needs and the housing needs, being in a safe space. The next one up is what he calls sort of love and belonging. Um, and the argument that's being made now is that just like when you don't have enough food, you realize how badly you need it. You know, you, 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 you don't recognize your need for food until you're hungry. Well, you don't recognize your need to belong. And belonging is the social need that rules them all, if you will. So belonging, all the other, all the other social needs feed into helping us belong. This is a theory that I've been reading from social psychologists like Susan Fisk at Princeton and, um, uh, Bowmeister, I can't. I don't know where Bowmeister is now. I think he might be at Florida. Um, used to be at Case Western, um, and um, and and Matthew Lieberman again. No social neuroscientists are talking about this at UCLA. Um, and so we 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 want we we don't realize we keenly know what rejection or ostracism feels like. But belonging is one of those needs that we can't quite articulate, especially in the U.S., because in the U.S., we have a cultural norm of independence. Yeah. Yeah, we make believe we don't need belonging. We make believe. We're unaware of it. Yeah. So uh, as you're explaining this all, I'm, I'm imagining, would it, could it be possible to, con to conduct some sort of large-scale experiment to keep workers apart from each other in physical space? And see what happens to their sense of belonging. <laughs> yes, <laughs> be tough to do. <laughs> be tough, but ethically, it would be difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe, right. maybe some kind of natural experiment. Some might, natural, might, might some, something could happen, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then we can see how many people want to stay in their jobs <laughs> because they don't feel they belong, or you know, which is obviously you know what we're learning now—the cracks in the foundation. Of, of organizations. And we're really, you know, again, I'm going to mention again, just the need, um, the, 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 the way the organizations aren't really designed for our human needs. Um, there's also though, we have the power to change that. And a team is the perfect size for, you know, it's more, it's changing an organization's culture is difficult, but changing a team's culture is, is certainly within our our capabilities. You know, we get to decide the culture of our teams, whether we realize we can or, or not. We do. We we vote with our behavior every day, right? I mean, you know that from all your agile work. That you take a framework, oh, sure, you put it sure. on, it changes everything. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Is there anything else else you want to add on? Um, are, are you doing any current research, any, any investigation right now? I'm just doing writing. You know, I'm kind of in the, um, I have papers that haven't been published sitting on my desk. And uh, that's one of the things I need my my friend and your friend Steve Wolf for right now to help me get those out the door. So rather than taking on something new, I mean, that's my, my ADHD has always led me to want to do something. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Rather than finishing what I've done. So at the moment, I'm I'm not doing any new research, although I would love to be doing research on this topic. Instead, I'm I'm just a sponge for looking at everybody else's research on the topic. And there's some great research out there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be checking all the authors and references you've been sharing with us. Good. I can't wait to get into it. I I, I love reading. Um, Vanessa, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, is that possible? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm on the faculty of in the business school. It's called the Paul uh, Peter T. Paul College of Business at, at University of New Hampshire. You can look me up there, and I'm also on LinkedIn and. You know, um, I'm happy. I'm always, I always love to talk about teams and share my ideas. Yeah. And pass the word. I mean, this is a, just like with you. I mean, it's teams can, teams can be the best of times. We need to get out there and, and help people do that. I, one more thing I wanted to say is that I, I learned recently and I, I only learned this recently. I was asked to give a keynote address and I learned that we don't teach leaders how to build teams. Um, it's one of the reasons why the agile movement has been so powerful because I think it's the first movement that's been focused on, well, beyond you know the way of restructuring work, which is brilliant, but just how to lead a team, how a team should operate in order to be well functioning. We don't. All of our development of leaders is around individual skills, you know, um, and it's it's go go back and look at it. I mean, I was I spent a lot of time, and what I could find were articles saying, hey. There's an individual bias. We are definitely individually biased here in the U.S., but our people like to work on themselves when they're learning how to lead. You know, they're they're not that interested. It took me a long time to crack the code and figuring out how do you get people interested in teams? Because um, I used to give presentations on like individual emotional intelligence, and people would be riveted, and, you know, lining out the door to hear more about it. And then I'd give a talk on teams, and they'd be like, "Oh, hum, you know, teams." <laughs> And um, so you have to really speak to, um, you know, to the human side of teams and you have to really be concrete and really uh, succinct and all kinds of things to, to grip them yep. um, as you, yep. as I'm sure, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the thing, thing yes. Yes. Thank okay. you for that. Good. <laughs> Good. And I share this uh, in, in, in the, the, the Agile class I teach at university and in innovation class I teach at, at university as well. Uh, one of the first things we do is, is skills and habits and practices for having a great team above, above all else. Fantastic. Yeah. It's so <laughs> it's fantastic. Cool. It's so, I mean, I, it's I hard. I love that I get to do that. Yes. Well, I'm, and plus, I'm so glad you're doing it because you've got the experience. You've got so much experience in it. And what I find is that when people don't have a lot of experience in it, they go in there and they start teaching individual development in the team class. I mean, I've sat in on lots of lots of so-called team development classes that are all about, well, let's learn each other's personality, which is important. Which is, I'm not saying it's not, but that doesn't teach you how to lead a team. <laughs> Knowing other people's personalities doesn't teach me how to lead a team or how to work with those personalities. Yeah. yeah. I read some research. Uh, 
year, a couple years ago, uh, that correlated large multinational company. Uh, they noticed that the people who were geographically near each other had tighter bonds, right? And it didn't matter who they were working with, what, what team they were on, uh, where their teammates were located, whether or not they worked with the people who were near them geographically, they always felt more connect connected to their geographic peers. What, what do you think about that? Especially now that we, people are taking new jobs now that are like remote first or remote only. Yeah, it's powerful. I'd love to, if you remember what that article is, I'd love to see it, love to read it. Um, okay, so I do have some thoughts about that. I've thought a lot about it. Um, I, there's something that I call, and there's been research on it and it's called something, there's another label for it, but I call it psychological distance. Um, and I first learned this when I was, um, a professor and doctoral students used to move away and, you know, you can do the rest, you can do your, write your dissertation, you can do your research from afar, you know, so you can go live with your partner rather than living, living uh, where the university is located but they were always so nervous about not being, you know, co-located, located right at the school. And they felt so psychologically distant. And I would talk to them and they'd be like, I don't know what's going on there. What's happening. I feel like everybody has forgotten me. And yet, you know what? I used to talk to them more than the people I saw locally. And so it was really, so I started noticing that. And then I started seeing it in the dispersed teams that I'm in. And I started thinking about it in my own life. So there have been times when I've lived overseas and my parents would be, you know, here in the U.S. And I'd be like, oh, I can't talk to them. They're so far away. And then I'd move back and I'd be two hours away from them. And I'd call them every day, you know. And so I think there, this is a very powerful um, psychological, um, there's another term for it. I think Mark Mortensen, who's at INSEAD in uh, France now, I think he's got a term for it. I don't know if he calls it emotional distance or something. Um, but it's, it, what it does is it keeps you from picking up the phone or from connecting with people more often. And what you want to do, it makes it even more important to build those relationships that I was talking about earlier. Because what you want to do in a team is have people feel like they can at, at a moment's notice pick up the phone or text or connect you know Richard blah, 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 what do you think about this you know everybody's texting these days I'm still old school or I prefer to, to talk on the phone but you know you don't want them to hesitate but if they're psychologically distant they don't do that as often and so the communication breaks down and so you do have to overcome that that's my that's my thought you have to really uh, consciously overcome that sure. awesome thanks for that well, I think it's time to wrap up. I, uh, it's been a pleasure, Richard. I really appreciate um, meeting with you and having you interview. Yeah, it has been a great pleasure. Thank, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me, for joining us, for sharing your thoughts and, uh, and, and wisdom and ideas with, with everybody. Um, thank you. Thank you. And I wrap up with this. <laughs> and remember, viewers and listeners, to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com.